Welcome to the Infertility Podcast. I'm Candice. And I'm Daniel. Grab a biscuit because we've got the tea on all things infertility. If you're enjoying the podcast, please give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. This helps others find our podcast and get even more information about coping with infertility. Also, if you'd like to stay up to date with our story, you can follow me on Instagram at Operation Baby Bump. Have a great topic for our podcast? Email us at thevanwades at gmail.com. Blair. What's up? Am I speaking to pre or post coffee Blair? <laughs> You're speaking to in the middle oh, Blair. That's a safe Blair to be speaking to. It is. Well, and I've been doing decaf, so it's really not doing anything, uh, but mm. it's all about the ritual, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's all in the mind. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So what kind of decaf do you partake in? I partake in um, a decaf almond milk latte. Iced. Oh, yes, hot. All right, I'm going to pull up my notes because I didn't bring my iPad in here. Like a unprepared amateur podcaster. I'm feeling good. I think that for me, fertility treatments prepared me a lot for pregnancy. You know, going through fertility treatments, it does a number on your body, as you know. Yeah. It makes you tired. There are so many ailments associated with it. That when, by the time you get to pregnancy, it's just like, it doesn't feel any different, really. It's like a, continu- <laughs> a, a continuation. Yeah, it's just a better continuation. Um, yeah, with that, yeah, there's actually results happening. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, so, um, yeah, I just want to commend you because you always seem so happy. Like, your whole pregnancy that I've been following you, you seem joyful and happy and not complaining and I know like you made a bit of point to never complain which yeah. we all appreciate in the infertility world but you seem happy yeah I am happy I I feel blessed I don't really see any point in complaining and it's not helpful and it's not healthy if I need to complain I'll complain to my husband um, I'll complain to my mom or You know, I just, I don't see any point in sharing that with the community that are still hurting and still experiencing loss and disappointment. It's just not, I just don't think it's helpful at all. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to talk to you. You have a cool podcast, the Fab Fertility Podcast, which I started listening to, I would say a couple months ago when we started probably talking more frequently on Instagram. Yes. Um, And... How did you, like, why did you start that podcast? What what were you hoping to do with it? Well, so, um, well, first of all, I'm so happy to be on your podcast because I always enjoy listening to it as well. Um, I, so I started my Fab Fertility Instagram account about a year ago when I had my miscarriage. So I had just had my second frozen embryo transfer from our first round of IVF and got pregnant. And we were like, oh, this really was kind of easy. Um, No, (laughs) because had a miscarriage, which was super sad. And, you know, I'm glad I'm glad I'm to a point where I can talk about it now. Um, But after that happened is when, you know, 
I think we all going through this just grasp for support wherever we can get it whenever we hit a low point Mm -hmm. and I um the online forums just don't do it for me they stress me out way more than help me and so I thought I'm gonna go on Instagram there's gotta be I mean there's an Instagram account for everything and sure enough I found all of you guys and it was awesome and so that was about a year ago and then I was, I'm like a serial researcher. And so if anything Same. could possibly be wrong with me, then yeah, I feel like you are too. <laughs> then, then I, then I look it up and I look it up and look it up and research it to death. And so I thought in my head, I was like, you know, I have all of this information, whether or not it pertains to me or not. And I felt like I was finding myself going to podcasts more and more for my own personal healing. And I thought I have all this information I might as well do something with it. I've met all these amazing women that I feel like need to tell their story. Um, you know, one is an outlet for them and two to educate other people. So I thought, why don't I try to do a podcast? Because that'll reach a lot more people, you know, when you're driving in the car or whenever you're working out, whatever, when you can't be scrolling through Instagram and Mm -hmm. sometimes like it's exhausting to, uh, engage all the time and and podcasting is nice because you can just listen, (laughs) um, and reflect and not have to like respond. And so anyway, I just wanted another like outlet for all the stuff that I was learning and all the people I was meeting. And it's been fun. I mean, I don't know how you do yours, but I I was kind of like, all right, I'm going to set a budget for myself so that I can get help on my podcast because all I want to do is find the people, interview them, put it like export a file, and I don't want to I don't want to see it again until it pops up on iTunes. <laughs> so, because so I've never done I I will just say this to everybody I do not edit my own episodes I have somebody else to do that and I do the you know I record the intro the outro I have my like permanent intro that my old doctor did for me um, that I, like, that my editor, like, pieces together, but, like, I, I set a budget, and so I make sure that my episodes are a certain time, like, you know, length, mm-hmm. so that I can, I can make my budget, but, yeah, for me, the fun part is just talking to the people, researching them in advance, and asking all the questions that are, that I have, and then I try to anticipate what everybody else would like to know as well. Yeah. Um, but it's been fun. I really like it. And I've learned a lot. Um, and people are just so generous with their time and their story. And I just so much appreciate that. Like you, you've been open with yours. I'm open with mine. I just think it's so, so great uh, when people are, you know, in that place where they feel comfortable sharing. Yeah. I could not agree more. I, when we first started to do IVF, actually, I was Googling and I was watching YouTube videos of people who had gone through the process and it was like I could not get enough information. I was obsessed because I was watching other people's stories like on YouTube. I wanted to watch more people's stories because I feel like I couldn't really relate to the person who her and her husband tried for six months and then did IVF and then they got pregnant on the first round. Like I couldn't relate to those people because we had had an extensive history of infertility and loss and many, many years. Like we waited five ish years, um, to do IVF. Like people just, 
Yeah, I mean, people just kept telling us, like, oh, you've got time, and Daniel was like, you know, we just need to keep trying, and I wanted to do it way sooner, but, um, and we did an IUI, uh, let's see, it was probably two years after, or two or three years after we had actually started trying on our own, um, and that didn't work, and I think that that put us off of fertility treatments, because we were like, wow, that's, that was expensive, and it didn't work, so let's not do that again, um, and I just think that it's great that your podcast is like, sharing other people's stories, because I feel like the more we can learn from other people, the more we can kind of piece together things that we can identify with. And, um, and then too, like your, your point about not wanting to really engage yet on a, on a Instagram platform is that, you know, I was still in the closet. My parents didn't know that we were going to do IVF. His family didn't know. So I was really just really silently absorbing all that information mm-hmm. um, in secret, really. So well, there's yeah, a... and, and I feel like people need to understand, too. I have so many people, I'm sure you do, too, that will message me and they're like, thank you so much for putting all your stuff out there. Thank you for your podcast. Like, I'm still quiet about my journey because and and it's like and there's nothing wrong with that I feel like people almost feel pressure to they feel pressure in both ways either to keep it quiet or to I mean I have people they're like I know I should share and I know I should like put myself out there and like if you're not ready you're not ready I mean there's nothing wrong with that for me I mean we went May of 2018 through October, and I didn't say shit. I'm sorry. Can I cuss on you? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, okay. <laughs> I uh, I didn't say anything to anybody. I mean, especially not on social media. I think my immediate, you know, family and and close friends knew, but um, it took me a while to put myself out there. And and I think people. And I mean, I'm just extroverted in general, mm-hmm. and I am not really shy, so I don't. I never really struggle. Like once I started sharing, it was like word vomit, but, yeah. um, there's nothing wrong with just with absorbing other people's story. And like, I, I always tell people that approach me like from their, from their personal account, they'll be like, Oh, I don't know. I really don't want to share anything on my personal account. And I'm like, then create an anonymous infertility account and yeah. don't post anything about yourself, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's such a great way to start sharing and to start like, and to start, joining this community. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's so much pressure as it is. First of all, it's a very intimate thing that you're doing. It's, it's, um, to some people very controversial still. I don't know Mm -hmm. why. Um, because you know, it's obviously our fault that we can't, um, (laughs) get pregnant naturally. So seeking medical attention for it is somehow shameful or controversial or, you know, there's so much like shame and, um, oh, you know, I don't want people knowing this kind of associated with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as you're going through the process, there's pressure on you every single cycle because the more people know mm-hmm. you're doing a transfer, the more people are going to be like, oh, well, did it work? Oh, it didn't work. Oh, you know, and then people pity yeah. you and that's just not the type of thing um, so I totally get when people 
want to remain anonymous or don't want to share. I actually, I shared pretty much everything for a while. And then when we did our third transfer, I didn't share about it. We just did it quiet because it is a lot of pressure saying, oh, my lining is just such a piece of crap. It's still not (laughs) thick enough. Like, and it gets old. It gets mm-hmm. old. I have another random random thought from my closet here. Um, so what I think is so cool about IDF, well, first of all, the fact that it exists and that it's still a relatively new technology mm-hmm. is so crazy to me. But what would happen to people like you and me? Well, you ended up getting pregnant naturally, which is awesome. But what would happen to people like us in the, the royal times? Would I be think beheaded? about that all the time. I know. Would we be beheaded? Well, because yeah, we, we would. We would be like cast, a, like we'd be put out in the fields and someone would bring in a new wife. Yeah. We're, we'd be barren women. Yeah. I mean, you know, I this is so weird that you said, said this because I think about this all the time. My great aunt, Katie, um, she was my grandmother's... Ugh, I don't know. I'm, I'm probably going to get this wrong. She was my grandmother's mother's. Okay, she was my grandmother's aunt. Mm-hmm. Okay. You understand? Yep. <laughs> I was going to, yes. as, as in true Candace form, your, I was about great, to really overcomplicate it. Your great aunt. Your great aunt. <laughs> yes, my great aunt. So my mother's mm-hmm. aunt. Right? Yes. Your, your no, mom's my aunt. mother's great aunt. Oh, your great great aunt. Yeah, my great great aunt. Okay, <laughs> so <laughs> she was never able to have children, um, and they don't know why. And back then, of course, things were much different. Um, the testing wasn't there. Uh, you know, there was little known about fertility. Um, And I think back then, if you couldn't have kids, you just couldn't have kids. And it was like, oh, she was never able to have kids. And it was just one of those things where it was just one of those things. And to us, it's such a huge deal. We want children. Like, we're fighting here. We're fighting. We're putting our bodies through these fertility treatments for years. We're throwing money at it. And we, you know, it's it's hard, but thank God that we have that opportunity. Um, because like my great aunt Katie, great, great aunt Katie, (laughs) she was, (laughs) she was never able to have children. And, you know, she probably died, um, you know, sad about that. And also never understanding why, um, God chose her. Um, she was a very religious woman and so she probably prayed for many, many years, um, and it just never happened. And so it's so funny because I was just thinking about that the other day, that how tragic that she didn't have that opportunity. And great, great Aunt Katie also didn't have Instagram right. to go compl- complain Exa- to. <laughs> and you know what? Poor great, great Aunt Katie was surrounded by a bunch of freaking fertile people. Her sister, yeah. my great, um, my great grandmother, <laughs> I don't get that wrong. Um, her sister had five children. Um, mm-hmm. My her, all of her children had children, and you know the the 
fertility was passed down quite a bit to everybody except for me, of course. Um, <laughs> and my poor cousin, um, who is my aunt's daughter, my, my mother's sister's daughter, we both had endometriosis. We don't know where it came from because to our <clears throat> knowledge, um, my mom didn't have it. My aunt didn't have it. Um, so we're not sure where that came from. And so we kind of wonder, well, wonder if she had it, you know, wonder if, um, she had endometriosis and never realized it. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk about endometriosis really quick. Um, like when I, when I have you on my podcast, I definitely want to talk about it, but just really quickly, I, so I don't know if you were this way when you were going through, because you did three rounds of IVF, right? So yes. I'm in, I'm on my third, in the middle of my third round, like waiting on our test results. But I'm like now thinking, okay, like what else could possibly be tested mm-hmm. on me and possibly be wrong? And was your endometriosis, um, I, first of all, I've never had any um, symptoms. I don't have bad, you know, I don't have pain during sex. I don't have... Um, I don't have really painful periods, nothing that would lead me to believe that I have endometriosis. Right. I, I don't have long periods. I are really short, actually, which is probably indicative of another problem. But um, did you have symptoms or were you diagnosed with that, like, when you were going through infertility? Because I'm, like, obsessing over asking for a laparoscopy just to see what's up in there. Because yeah. Because I'm like, there's got to be something. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I actually did have symptoms. I've had symptoms my whole adolescent and adult life. Um, But I come from a long line of really strong women who don't complain. They're just badass women who get stuff done. They raise their children. They get on with their life. They don't complain about things. And I just have never really complained to a doctor about my really painful periods and things like that. Um, I, when I was 15, I got on birth control. Um, I had terrible skin. I had really bad acne. And back then they would just slap you on birth control. And so I was on birth control for years until I met my husband and that masked a lot of my symptoms so that that would mask my really painful periods um now there would be times where I would like run out of birth control or you know and I wasn't taking it for like um to prevent pregnancy or anything so I would just kind of like not take it for a couple of months and then refill it and and then during those months it was so bad and so I was like getting back on it because my periods were so bad. Um, yeah. And so when, when I got married, um, I completely stopped birth control because we wanted to start a family right away. And, um, my periods were horrible. I thought, you know, well, my doctor said it'll be fine. You know, your body will regulate itself. Um, your body's not used to, you know, doing this on its own. You've been on birth control for years, blah, blah, blah. And for many years, that just became normal to me. And I just didn't think anything really of it. Um, Yeah. And it wasn't until we started fertility treatments that Daniel was like, 
I think you have endometriosis. Like I, you, you have all the symptoms, like it just, and I was like, no, because I was comparing myself to my cousin, Lena. She had stage four. Um, Um, she would leave work. Um, she would lay in bed for days. I mean, it was so bad. She had it so bad. And I just thought, you know, and she also had ovarian cysts, which I just thought, well, I don't have, you know, ovarian cysts, you know, I can still work. It's just, you know, I'm just in a lot of pain. So I kind of justified a lot of the symptoms that I had. Um, And that was kind of encouraged a little bit by my providers over the years too, because my OB told me that pain with sex was indicative of a tilted uterus, which I have. Mm. Um, and so there were little things here and there that I kind of, you know, would say, oh, well, that symptom is because of this. And that symptom is because of this. Um, and so I kind of came back around to it and I was like, you know what? You're right. I think I probably have that, especially after all of the failures that we had all of the um, normal embryos that would not um, implant in my... Do- Dr. Doctor, Doctor Daniel was right. Yeah, Dr. Daniel was right. And don't, <laughs> I'm not going to let him listen to this episode because that's the first time he's been right about anything, you know what I'm saying? Um, but he was right, and um, I should have listened sooner, but I didn't. Um, and so when I kind of... When we had done everything else, we had done every single thing else, I was like, okay, enough is enough. We've got to address what's going on here. And, you know, I did ask my fertility doctors over the years. Every time we would have a failure, I would say, you know, could I have endometriosis? Like, I have symptoms of it. And they'd be like, no, you know, that doesn't cause infertility. Even if you had it, we wouldn't remove it and blah, blah, blah. And so I thought that was absurd. Like, I just thought that that was the most absurd thing I've ever heard. And I just kind of like let it go and let it go. And then after we had lost five, I was like, this is, I'm not doing this anymore. I mean, those are precious embryos, you know? Okay, yes, that is exactly, okay. I'm going to go on a soapbox really quick. I have talked to you now, several people who have had this just intuition about their body that something is wrong. And doctors are like, oh no, it's it's not that, it's not that. And it's BS. I mean, it is. I am all about like really strong arming your doctor into testing if it's what you want. I mean, if it's, if the test is not going to harm you and it's, you know, even if it's just for your peace of mind and it's a waste of money, they shouldn't give a shit. I mean, right. they should let you do it. Exactly. See, okay. So I was they're getting talk- paid. Exactly. And I, this is a perfect example. If you can believe it, I have never had an HSG done. Are you after- serious? After all of this shit. Yeah, no, it's crazy. So um, I told my do- my new doctor, I was like, listen, it, before we did our third retrieval, he knew that. Like, we went in for our consult, and I said, look, like, 
here's a couple of, of interesting things about my treatment plan. First of all, I loved my first doctor, still do. But I did find it interesting that we had never done that because we went to her with male factor and uh-huh. they did some basic testing on me. I mean, they did do one of those saline sonograms, um, where they could, you know, tell that the anatomy of my uterus, like they could tell there weren't any fibroids or, you know, I didn't have any, I didn't have a tilted uterus or anything like that. So they just, they were able to see the basics, but <clears throat> I still have not had one done. So I told him, I was like, listen, before we do any transfers, like if we're lucky enough to get some embryos, I will not do another, like another transfer without having this test done. He goes, I 100% agree. And he was like, and I think it's very bizarre. You haven't had one done, but that's, you know, you just have to be upfront with the doctors and you have to tell them what you want. Even if, because again, with endometriosis, I really want to do a laparoscopy because I, I just have a feeling that there's something going on. Cause again, like with you, you lost five embryos. We've lost four. Yeah. <clears throat> and there's gotta be something. I mean, my lining looks good. Everything looks all like perfect trilaminar, all that stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> but there's still something going on. I mean, right. we've done an ERA. So anyway, I want to hear about your, your endometriosis removal. Yes. I, um, well, um, you know, Dr. Braverman, I will never shut up about him. May he rest in peace. Um, he was a reproductive immunologist, and that's how we discovered the um, endometriosis. So um, I'm just really thankful. Like, as a woman, like you said, we have these gut instincts. We know our bodies by now. We have been through so much crap by now that we can start to see a pattern emerge and Mm. the doctor is not paying attention to us. They're paying attention to the, the patient load that they have and Mm. they're trying, you know, and I know that there are providers out there that are compassionate and they care and there's individualized treatment. Um, I didn't experience any of that. I experienced kind of a pregnancy mill type of a operation, Um, and when it wasn't working for me, they just stuck me back on the conveyor belt to see Mm -hmm. that if eventually I would come through and get pregnant and there was no strategy. Um, they threw a bunch of testing at it. They did not, um, you know, I asked for miscarriage panels. Um, I asked for blood clotting factor tests. I asked for, um, a laparoscopy a long time ago And they're like, well, you know, that's a really invasive surgery and blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, I'm really glad they didn't go with it because I would have been sent to some, you know, run-of-the-mill laparoscopy person. And Mm -hmm. instead, I went to the best of the best of the best. And um, I'm so thankful for that. But I think that the best thing that someone could do when starting their... IVF journey or if whether it's an IUI or whatever it is do your research listen to others learn from others and listen to your body listen to your heart and listen to your mind and when you're hitting these brick walls all the time Mm -hmm. you have to say stop okay stop you know like I'm sorry I know we have a transfer scheduled for 
you know, next month, whatever. I know I've already ordered all my medication, but this isn't right. It doesn't feel right. I've got to stop. And that's what I did. Um, it doesn't mean that it's going to work for everybody. It just means that you have to stop and reassess. You can't just keep putting yourself through the same things over and over again. If you have that intuition, I would totally encourage you to, you know, explore it. And you know what? The recovery for laparoscopy is not that bad. Um, Mm -hmm. And just because you don't have symptoms of endometriosis does not mean you don't have it. There is silent endometriosis. Mm -hmm. Um, The the friend who referred me to Dr. Braverman, she didn't have any symptoms, but she had stage 3 endometriosis, which was actually worse than mine. And, um, so she had silent endo and then once she got that removed, she was able to get pregnant. Um, so I have a question for you about silent endo or just endometriosis in general. So, um, how does that play into the success of IBS? Like how does having endometriosis and having all that scar tissue and whatnot going on, how does that affect uh, embryo implanting? I think it it would be different for everyone. It just depends on where the endometriosis is at. Um, my Dr. Braverman was actually really concerned about the embryos we had made um, because it affects egg quality, which in turn affects embryo um, quality. But he, you know, he looked at the embryos that we had left, and they were all really good grades. They were normal, PGS tested. And so, um, he was like, those are probably, you know, fine. Um, but for some women, if it's on your ovaries, it can affect your egg quality that affects the function of your ovaries. It affects the, um, you know, the egg maturing properly and, you know, them being able to, um, collect those eggs, those mature eggs and things like that. Um, if it's on your tubes, obviously it's going to affect, um, you know, if you're trying naturally, it's going to affect the egg being released or, Mm -hmm. um, things like that. Because in endometriosis, your tubes like flow the wrong way. And that's how, um, the intrauterine tissue gets on the outside. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, of course, if it's all over your uterus, then that's going to inhibit the embryo from implanting in most cases because the estrogen that you're pumping your body full with, which is, I believe this was my case, um, my lining wasn't getting thick. I think I was feeding the endometriosis, which was outside my uterus. Um, so my lining was not getting thick and then it would finally get to finally get to a seven, which was just like bare minimum what they were looking for. And then of course it wouldn't attach because it couldn't, it just couldn't, um, because it was all over my uterus. Um, I also had it on my bowels and for many years I thought I had IBS or, you know, bumhole issues because, um, I just would like, I would eat something and I'd be like, gotta go. (laughs) And I'd like, it would be funny because like me and Daniel would go to dinner and then we'd go like to the mall afterwards or something. And he'd be like, gotta go to the bathroom. And I'd be like, yeah, I gotta go, (laughs) you know? And it would just be because it alters the functions of the organs that it's feeding on. Um, Mm. so it could be different for everyone just based on 
where it's located, the how, you know, how deep it is, how, um, how much is on your, your organs. It just depends really. This, this is fascinating. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I definitely, I'm going to ask, I'm going to say, listen, I know you might not think it's necessary, but I just have this feeling and cause I'm doing my HSG next week. So yay. I like did yay. not, while we're, while we're waiting on, um, our testing to come back, I'm like, look, I don't want to lose this sounds so so bad because I feel like we on in the infertility world think of life in terms of months and cycles. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want to lose this cycle. Like, I want to at least accomplish something. And so they were like, okay, like this is a perfect time to get your HSG, and you know, so I'm going to do that. And I'm finally going to see if my tubes are in order. <laughs> yeah, because I I have had a hysteroscopy. I had it. They actually did my. ERA. Um, I don't know if you ever had one of those, but they did my ERA and hysteroscopy in the same uh, day. And so I was lucky because I got to be under anesthesia wow. for my ER, my ERA. Yeah, and that a lot is of people, lucky. Yeah, a lot of people aren't and people say that it's terrible. It is terrible. <laughs> yeah, I've had I've had one and it's not it's not fun. So I think they're going to do another one on me with my new clinic because my doctor was explaining to me, he was like, you know, the ERA results are only valid if you do it, if you mimic the protocol exactly. that you're going to follow. Yeah. And so, I mean, I was on so many different protocols, like patches, pills, suppositories, you name it. I'm like, I don't even remember yeah. what my protocol was whenever we did the ERA. So we're probably going to have to redo that, in which case I'm going to have it done with, without anesthesia. So that's going to suck, but. Girl, you just got to take that Motrin. Yeah. And it only lasts for like two to five seconds. You can do it. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, you can do it. <laughs> just um, count the ceiling tiles and just squeeze somebody's hand or whatever, but you can get through it. Yeah. Well, I'm so intrigued by this um, endometriosis, like silent endometriosis thing, because like you, I mean, you just gra- are grasping for any sort of Absolutely. answers. So, well, when you've done but, everything else, it's like, yeah. what in the heck could it be? And you're just thinking, okay, I've done the ERA. I've done the PGS testing. Like, everybody's saying that I'm healthy. And when it comes to unexplained infertility, you don't really care what, what the explanation is. Like, you're dying. Okay, well, at least I know. <laughs> you know, it's exactly. like at least I have an explanation for the years of whatever it is. Oh, well, actually, you're missing your uterus. Okay, well, that's why. <laughs> you know, yeah. it could be worst case scenario, but if we have information, then we can move forward. Like, informed, exactly. we can move forward not doing the same thing over and over again. Um, yeah. And guess what? What if what if you don't have endometriosis and you have a laparoscopy? Now you can check that off your list. I mean, exactly. if you can afford it, if your insurance will cover it, um, and this is like the last thing you haven't tried, then mm-hmm. I say go for it. I mean, I'm I'm all about crossing things off the list, especially when how, you've been through that. Do you remember how much it is, or does insurance cover it typically? My insurance, um covered it but um the doctor I chose to go to was out of network so it did cost me more Mm. but if you go to in network 
Um, and I assume that you've probably reached your deductible this year. Yep. <laughs> um, as most of us do, I actually reached my deductible in January, which is really sad. Um, I know. But, uh, you know, if you've reached your deductible, I would push for it, getting it done this year because you've already done that. And um, then, you know, just go to an in-network doctor and look around, make sure you're reading like reviews and stuff, get a good one because a lot of OBs and a lot of um, REs can do laparoscopies. That doesn't mean they're good at it. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that they know exactly what they're looking for. And it doesn't mean that they're going to get it all. Um, So, and it doesn't mean that they'll be thorough. um, Because, like, my surgeon, he, like, lifts up the organs. Like, you have to move the tube around. Like, you have to move the camera all the way around the tube. Otherwise, if it's on the backside, you'll miss it, you know. And Mm -hmm. he spends a lot of time re doing resurgeries on people who have had a laparoscopy and you know they still had terrible symptoms of it and he went in and he found more you know like literally two months later so it's not that it grew back in that time it's just that it was missed what so, was the what was the recovery like so the recovery is not that bad um for me, I know it could be um, worse for some people, like it, especially if you have a huge cyst that, that needs to be removed or something. But the worst pain for me was the gas pain that is in the shoulder because they they blow you up full of gas so that um, you're kind of you kind of inflate and that they can get the camera around all your organs really easily. Um, so once they close you back up, you've got kind of gas trapped in your body. And it'll Uh flow to the top. And um, I just, you know, that was the worst pain. Um, I just put the heating pad on. That only lasted for maybe a couple of days. Um, I drank a lot of fizzy drinks so that I could burp and release some (laughs) of that gas. Um, And then, of course, you know, there's constipation, which... Is, is a part of, <laughs> you know, it's a part of egg retrievals, too, so it's not like... Well, okay, this is crazy. I I did not... I've had... My third retrieval was recently, and that was the first time that the nurses actually talked to me about being constipated. Really? Yes, and they were like, you need to get Miralax or whatever, and they also gave me some... Um, prescription that was it's supposed to kind of prevent any sort of ovarian hyperstimulation symptoms Mm -hmm. I I forget what it's called but it was like you know take one pill a day you know leading up to your retrieval and then after your retrieval but all this medicine apparently can make you like ultra constipated so here's you know go get some laxative type deal and I was like this is the first time that I've ever been told and and then I was thinking back on my first two and I was like well I think I actually was kind of constipated but no one really ever told me about that mine was so bad with all three of my egg retrievals oh yeah yeah infertility is so such a beautiful and glamorous thing oh yeah I mean (laughs) I know why people pay so much to have, like, a non-GMO baby. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) we're definitely doing this for cosmetic purposes. That's for sure. Uh Uh-huh. Exactly. (laughs) 
Yeah, that my cosmetic purposes that have like put 15 pounds on my body. Oh my lord, and I have to tell you my my body has changed so much going through fertility treatments. My skin has aged. My mm-hmm. hair, I just I've noticed so much about my body like this is before pregnancy, of course, that I just look aged. I don't know, I know if it's the es- being on estrogen for two years straight, like literally high <laughs> levels of it that just kind of suck the life out of your skin and the elasticity and like it, you know, I don't know. But after I'm done having this baby, I'm going to go have a glow up and I'm going to have some kind of a microdermabrasion, you know, facial type of a day. Um, Hell yeah. Because it just, it makes you feel like, one, your body's not working, you can't have a baby, and you're not a woman. And then it leaves you haggard. <laughs> like, <laughs> totally wadded up in a ditch, looking like a freaking walk of shame person. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it just... Uh, yeah. No, I totally know what you mean. And I, I like... I've had to buy so many new clothes to like fit my bloated 100%. ass body. Yes. And then I feel like I've just been giving less and less Fs about my makeup. I'm yeah. like concealer, concealer, <laughs> blush, and mascara. That's it. That's well, you, <laughs> you see my stories and I'm like, oh, I've got mascara all over my eyelid. <laughs> I just could not care less. Like I just... It's obvious. It's so obvious. And I feel bad for Daniel because, like, the, I'm, that's not the woman he married. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and he, like, looks good just waking. He He's, I hate him. Sometimes I want to punch him in the face when he's sleeping because he just looks like a GQ model just sleeping peacefully. Whereas I'm, like, you know, ugh, just... Uh. Well, the struggle is real. And I like for people that are listening, it's like, I, I guarantee all of us feel that way. Like, yeah, some days you just look over at your husband and you're like, damn you. I know. <laughs> Why don't you have to go through any of this right. aging and weight gain? Yes. And, oh, my God. I, I mean, know. honestly, I don't even know what it feels like to be on my normal hormone levels anymore. Like, no. I, I have adapted like a infertile chameleon yes I I've said for so many years I don't remember what normal is like and the moodiness and you know the conversations Daniel and I've had and and I'm not the person he married I think I'm more now the person that he married because I have been extremely happy and blessed and acting blessed um but the bitterness of infertility weighs on you like you carry it around like a backpack and it's Mm -hmm. it changes everything about you and it it changes the person that you are and it's not fair it it really isn't Mm -mm. it's it's not but you know like here's the thing too You've like done something so great with your infertility journey. You have this podcast that people love and people just love following you because you're so funny. (laughs) (laughs) I just laugh at you every single day and in the most amazing way. It's like I can always go to your stories to cheer me up. (laughs) The stuff about 
the stuff about Penny, oh my god, because yeah. I, I have so many dogs myself, and I'm like, I can relate, <laughs> but anyway, you can do something good with your journey, and like, for me, that's kind of what my fab fertility is all about, like, like I said in the beginning, helping other people, but also just, it's turning, it's trying to find purpose in all of the pain, you Absolutely. know? Absolutely, 100%. It's like, it's like, I'm gonna make something some, some lemonade out of these lemons. Absolutely. You, know? you can't go through it all and just curl up and die. You know, you can't yeah. just like, I mean, I feel like some people go through severe adversity and um, their coping mechanism is to be introspective and reflect and um, perhaps have the one or two people they confide in. But I think, um, and I'm not an extrovert, which is confusing I know because I (laughs) am very open but I don't get my energy from that I don't get a kick out of being around a bunch of people I think that's why I love Instagram so much is because I can talk to everybody and I can communicate with all of you like through messaging and things and and it's comfortable for me um, yeah, I wouldn't and be on your, on your own terms. Right, exactly. And I wouldn't be comfortable if I was like in a group of people talking about this. That would not be comfortable to me. So I think mm-hmm. Instagram does another thing for introverts, which is enables you to kind of um, navigate sharing, um, like you said, on your own terms mm-hmm. and making you feel like safe, like you're safe with people. And I think that's yeah. probably why... I seem like an extrovert in the community, um, but I'm really not. It's because I feel safe. and Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I think that's, I think that's great. I hope a lot of people feel that way. I mean, that, that's, the be- that's the beauty of it. Like, you don't, if you are having a bad day, like, you can just put it away and you don't, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. uh, like I said, like you said and I said, it's on your own terms, which is nice. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know what? We've almost reached the hour mark, and I haven't really asked you many of the questions (laughs) that I had. I guess let's let's quickly rewind, and I wanted to ask you, um, so you said that your husband was, you you went in for male factor, which was really the start of your um, kind of infertility journey. When did you discover that there was going to be some kind of an issue? You know, it, we literally, it seems like our journey has unfolded it like the most bass backwards way imaginable because we kind of went from zero to a hundred miles an hour very quickly. So we started trying like immediately when we got married because we had known each other for years. Um, we were actually like the bestest of friends before we got married, um, and started dating and all that, which was you know, an interesting way for a relationship to happen, but it was great because we were already like the best way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was, and I was, yeah, I was married before a long story for another day, but anyway, so, um, we started trying immediately and then I'm so impatient, which I think if anybody follows me, they probably know that they're they're probably like easy sister. But anyway, um, I went into my OB like six months in and I knew I was ovulating or at least my, my lovely little OPKs were telling me that I was every month, um, which can be deceiving. I've, I've learned, mm-hmm. 
but we, we thought, you know, had every reason to believe and still do that I ovulate on my own. But anyway, I went into her and I said, and I had been going to her since college. Um, and I was like, Hey, you know, Dr. So-and-so we've been trying for six months. I know we're under 35. I know that you're supposed to try for 12 months before you seek intervention. First of all, side note, that's complete BS. Don't listen to that. Yeah. Um, and so she was like, yes, that's right. 12 months, um, you know, get off birth control. I'm like, thanks lady. I've been off birth control for like a year now. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I was like, that's not good enough for me. We, um, switched OB or I switched OBs, um, to a, one that one of my girlfriends had been to, and she actually had to go, uh, you know, beyond an OB to get pregnant, went to an RE and got pregnant via IUI, which was great. But anyway, so the whole point was, is that he was really proactive with her. So I thought, well, perfect. It sounds like a good fit went to him and he was like, Hey, look, I totally appreciate that you're in your thirties. You want to be proactive. Like, let's do this. So he sent my husband off like to do a sperm analysis. And then I think that the next, honestly, the next step for me was probably an HSG, but we didn't even get there because when we started um, exploring, you know, what, what could possibly be up on the male side, we, um, we started digging around in this medical file that my husband, um, his parents had kept on him his whole life. And uh, he was like, you know what? I feel like there's something in there about when my mom was pregnant with me, like there was something wrong. So anyway, both of his parents are deceased. And so we have all these files from that and, um, in our possession, like normally his parents would have had them. So we started looking and there's this letter that is from 1987, like typed on a typewriter. And it says basically that when Will was in utero, um, when they did some test that there was something wrong and that he had a translocation, which means for people listening that don't Mm -hmm. know, basically, you know, we have 26 sets of chromosomes and a translocation means that like, for, for in his instance, that his one, his pair of one chromosomes jumped to his 10 spot and his 10s jumped to his one spot, but they did it perfectly. So he, and so basically the doctor, the letter explained that they tested both of his parents for it. And they said, if one of you has this exact translocation, then the baby will be normal. But if not, then y'all need to have a greater discussion about this. And mm. so, um, his dad ended up having the exact thing. And obviously his dad was a normal human. So they were like, great. Your son's a carbon copy of you basically. So, um, we took that to our doctor and he was like, yeah, I mean, you guys need to go straight to our RE. (laughs) So we found ourselves in our RE's office, our first doctor. and, And the reason we ended up with her was because that was who our new OB referred us to. Um, so anyway, she explained to us that if we were going to try to get pregnant naturally, it would take us six years. Good Lord. <laughs> and so, and she was like, and even then. Ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. And then she was like, and even then, I mean, when you have this, it's very, very likely that you will have a bunch of miscarriages or the baby will be born with like severe disabilities. So that's why IVF and PGS testing or PGD testing, whatever. I, I forget what acronym our specific testing is. For um, you, I think it would be PGD because it was, they were testing a specific thing. Yes, I think you're right. So anyway, that's kind of, you know, literally 
six months into our marriage, we're doing IVF. I mean, that that's, it was like a mm-hmm. real quick jump. And I feel like that's why a lot of stuff, a lot of the box checking got skipped with me because we went immediately into it because of the male factor, right. you know? Yeah. So, yeah, that's yeah, how that's, we got started. That's an interesting um, thing because, like you said, they were kind of tunnel visioned on the fact that he had um, and God bless his parents, um, may they rest in peace for keeping such amazing records that right? you guys didn't spend the next five years trying to get pregnant. God forbid no, having a chromosomally abnormal child and then, you know, either miscarry or have a severe disabled child. Um, I, know. I think that uh, you had that amazing advantage I would say back in the beginning now look Mm -hmm. how far you've come and you know like you said some of those steps were kind of skipped because Mm -hmm. everybody was focused on the the peen the bee the bees and the peas um (laughs) (laughs) poor guy um, and he's getting a bad rap over there. He's like thinking this is all my fault. And, know. you know, maybe there was some other factors um, at play here. Exactly. Um, yeah. Well, that sounds exhausting. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I know that. How many years have you guys been going through this? Um, so we started in May of 18. So it's been like a year and a half. Okay. But it feels like like 20 years, right? It, it feels like 20 damn years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Lord. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, I know that yeah. it, like, I know that my listeners love hearing other people's stories as well. And um, I think yours is quite unique. I've never heard of, um, like, something like this where you guys were pretty sure you knew what it was going into it and then turns out you know it's it, yeah you actually yeah you actually don't know um and you're here you are still in limbo i know it's crazy but what here's the thing if we had waited like the what the society norm is of waiting 12 months mm-hmm. we would like literally just be just be getting started with treatment yeah if we had waited 12 months and so like I want people to understand it find somebody that you can align yourself with like physician wise Mm -hmm. don't take if you're not happy with an answer like fight for what you want because I was like no I I just we just both had a feeling something was wrong yeah. You know, and, and so you have to, again, like what we talked about earlier, you have to trust your instincts and your intuition on this, on this journey and be, you are your best advocate. Mm-hmm. And that has paid off for us on more than one occasion on this journey. And I'm sure will continue to pay off. And so it's, you know, it's scary. And yes, you're not a doctor, but you know, your body and you know, yourself uh, you know, you know, like what's going to make you feel better mentally. And you just have to follow, follow your instincts. I feel like. Absolutely. And my last hard hitting question was going to be what advice, like if you, <laughs> if you could give one, one piece of advice to someone starting out or maybe balls deep in their infertility journey, you know, yeah, 
exactly. Um, would that be your advice? Yes, I totally. Sorry, my dogs are barking oh, that's in the background. Okay. All four of them. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, it would be educate yourself. Um, you know, do your research and advocate for yourself. Yes. There is no reason why you should just follow. Yes, of course, follow doctor's orders, but you know what's best for you. You know what's going to help you sleep at night. And you've got to just follow your instincts and, um, you know, know your shit. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, just to piggyback onto what you said, no, no doctor is laying awake at night thinking of you. Like, that's just not happening. And nobody else is going to advocate for you. You have to do it. Like, you have to. You have to make that choice. And you have to put yourself first. Because there is not a doctor out there that says, man, I just can't stop thinking about Blair. Um, what are we going to do for her? Like, I just, I don't understand. Like, I, you know, they're, they're not doing that. <laughs> Right. You're one of many. And and it's hard. That's a hard reminder, too. I mean, I have to tell myself that all the time, like Blair, you are one of hundreds Mm -hmm. of people that they're seeing. And that's exactly right. Like I always preach, like, go into each appointment with a list of questions that you have. You get those precious like 15, 20 minutes with your doctor at best. Yeah. So get your money's worth. Yeah. Go prepared. Be educated. Go in guns blazing. That's exactly right. And I think they appreciate that. I mean, yeah. my, my doctors will laugh at me and they're like, you've really done your research. And you're like, you're damn right. I'm spending tens of thousands yeah. of dollars on this. Exactly. <laughs> like, I'm no, mama didn't raise no fool, you know. Exactly. And I mean, I would, there were times where we went into my RE's office for our, you know, WTF appointments. And they would have someone else's chart pulled up. And they were starting to talk about to us about, uh, oh, well, it looks like this, this. And we were, like, so confused. And we were yeah. just like, you don't even know us, do you? Like, and, and I know there are people out there listening that, that say, you know, I have my doctor's cell phone number. Like, I text with him, and he loves me, and I'm happy for you. Like, if you have that relationship with your doctor, and they... They're advocating for you. I'm all about it. But most do not. And it's yeah. not it's not to discourage you. It's just to say that you need to have a realistic view of what you're putting mm-hmm. yourself through. Yep. Absolutely. I cannot tell you how many times I've had to correct my clinic on, you know, what medications I need to be on, my uh, calendar. Like you, because I mean, they're humans too, but Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm like, no, wait, I'm supposed to be taking this in the morning and they're like, oh yeah. So like literally just educate yourself, make sure you're paying attention. Um, and yeah, just be your, be your own advocate because like you said, nobody else is going to advocate for you. Right. Um, that would be my best advice. And then also just like try to find some positivity, in in such a confusing and heartbreaking space sometimes in time of your life like I just tried to look at it as a very small part of a of a whole and you know it's so it's so easy to just have this dark cloud over your head um Mm -hmm. 
and just try to find some positivity. I mean, try to find purpose in the pain, like I said. I mean, that's what fab fertility is for me. I'm not saying that's everyone's answer, but just try to find something, you know, to to keep you going through and find some positivity, you know? That's such great advice because I didn't do that. I very much lost myself um, many times. I didn't sing anymore, which I love to sing. I didn't color anymore. I didn't, I didn't express myself in the ways that feel good to me. And I just completely basically shut down and it's no way to live. Like if those were my last days on this earth, I would have squandered them. Um, so finding purpose in the pain, like you say, is, um, really great advice definitely and it's hard to do but hard, you know yeah so my least favorite thing is like sitting in a quiet place with myself and being honest with myself about how I'm feeling about something and you know but it's important you have to do it every now and again um to try like you said keep living your life and do the things you love and like I did I just literally did a little five minute five tips in five minute episode yesterday on this, like living life amidst infertility, like not letting this define you, um, finding purpose, continuing to learn about learn, you know, learn new things, take on new hobbies. Like just don't let this thing consume you. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. Great advice. Well, Blair, thank you so, so, so much for joining me um, today. Yes, I'm so glad. I feel like we just took our friendship to the next level. (laughs) We did. We certainly did. Um, I can't wait um, for this episode to come out, and I can't wait to be on your podcast. That'll be fun. Yeah, I'm so excited. I hope you enjoy the rest of your latte. And um, I'm going to go to Target and get myself a latte. Who knows? That sounds great. Yeah. Well, um, I'm sure I'll be talking to you on the gram soon, and I hope you have a great weekend. Thank you. You too, girl. All right. Bye. Bye.